It is Tuesday, August 16th here on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. And today's show is brought to you by Crossover Football, giving coaches the ability to break down game film to pull stats, searchable clips, tendency reports, and much more from both desktop and mobile solutions. To try one game for free, sign up for a demo at crossover.com slash pylon. That's crossover with a K dot com slash pylon. And you get one free breakdown if you sign up today. Mark, we have, and I, I did the math earlier just to make sure that I have my numbers right. Depending on whether you count today or not, it is either 23 or 24 days until football, three and a half weeks away. That's fantastic news. That really is fantastic news. It is as good as it gets because I can tell you uh, we are in that point of the summer right now where Twitter begins to become a, a, a burden, I think, to put it lightly. Are you feeling the same way? I wouldn't say it's a burden. I mean, do you think it's more of a burden now or like two weeks before the draft? For me, man, before the draft is easy. I'm a kicker guy. No one's paying true. attention to me. So before the draft isn't something I need to worry about. So for me, I'm kind of looking at all this now and it's just, you know, hot take city left and right. And I think that's probably why we reached out to our guest tonight, because our guest is kind of the, the opposite of hot take city. He brings it, but he brings it with a little bit of backup and, and a little bit of film work there. Am I right? I would agree with that statement. Outstanding. Well, I do want to welcome in our guest now. It is Doug Farrar from his new gig over at Bleacher Report. And Doug, I want to welcome you in. Uh, I think it's it's been, I think the last time we had you on was probably back towards the end of last season. Am I right? Uh, yeah, I think it was November, December, something like that. Uh, when we were in the middle of everything and now we're getting ready to do it all over again. Yeah, and, and obviously uh, you're in a little bit of a new home uh, since uh, we last spoke. Talk to us a little bit about... Uh, what's uh, what you have going on this year, and really what you're excited for uh, at your new gig? Sure. Um, well, I've been with uh, Sports Illustrated for three years, and you know was on a pretty good track. And then Bleacher Report reached out to me and said we want to expand our NFL scouting and do some cool stuff week to week with this NFL 1000 project, and we want you to run point on it. And when they sent me the you know the particulars, I was like, okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very easy choice to make. It, you know, it wasn't just the obvious stuff. It was, you know, because Bleach Report, if you haven't changed your perception of Bleach Report from what everyone thought, say, five years ago, boy, is it a different entity um, with, you know, staff support and infrastructure and the way they're putting everything together and corporate investment. It's a pretty spectacular thing. And... I've been here about three weeks. Very happy to get things going with a team of very talented people to hopefully expand the dialogue as far as uh, you know, legit all twenty-two scouting and just overall knowledge of the game. Well, and and for you, I know you've had you know a, a what probably a ten to fifteen year path to to get to this point now. And I know you started off on your own. You did some work, I think, uh, for football outsiders back in the day. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it's got to be pretty rewarding to get to this point now where you, you're kind of sitting there and you're saying, I can fi- I have a team, I can do what I want to do. And I have all these resources behind me. It's got to be pretty rewarding for you. Yeah. I mean, I didn't go to, <laughs> I didn't go to journalism school. I didn't write for a newspaper. I did not follow the traditional path. I did not expect to be here. I just, started doing it like most of us because I liked it. Um, you know, I remember talking to Dan Hatman at ITP before he started the website, and he just had a passion and wanted to live a dream, and that's how you do it. You just 
you work your butt off and you start to make things possible. So yeah, it was, um, football accelerator and started with them in 2005 and that opened up a whole bunch of gigs. I even started doing this full time until 2009 with Yahoo. Yep. And then for the last three years of that size. So yeah, it was, um, it was sort of an adjunct to the day job and then it was the job and, and now it's, uh, become sort of a mission, I guess. So it, it I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate. You, you can work as hard as you want, but if you don't get some breaks along the way, um, these things are not going to happen for you. So I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky. No question about it. Absolutely. Well, let's dig into a little bit of football here. I think, you know, one of the reasons that, uh, Mark and I, you know, get along so well with you is that you tend to look at the game from a similar perspective to us and that you tend to focus a lot on the schemes and on the X's and O's. And, and really that's what we want to dig into here. And so obviously one of the things that I want to ask you about just right off the bat, when you look across the landscape of the NFL, and for the casual fan who doesn't necessarily dig as much into the X's and O's, what are some of the kind of the two or three biggest trends that you've seen the last couple of years that fans should be paying attention to this year as far as new developments in the way that offenses and defenses have been innovating? It's a good question. The first thing, and I know, I know you guys are aware of this, the first thing I would tell the casual fan, the journalist, the guy, you know, grinding tape, wanting to do what we do or just starting to do what we do, is that it, this, is, this is now a sub-package league. Um, sub-package is the new base. Last year, teams ran three or more receivers on 60% of their offensive plays. They had five or more defensive backs on 65% of the plays. So you can start with nickel as the new base. And then you have guys like Deion Buchanan, uh, in Arizona, Mark there in St. Louis. Now they're going to try it up here in Seattle with Brandon Browner. Guys who are 210, 220 pound, essentially linebackers. The Rams played the most dime defense of any team in the NFL last year, but it's a bit of a misnomer because Barron is lined up in their dime set as essentially a strong side linebacker. And that's the role he plays. The Redskins are going to try that with Sua Cravens, who I did some tape with, uh, a few months back. They've made him what they call their Mo linebacker, and they've got him splitting gaps almost as a running back would. So the biggest trend I see, I mean, the shotgun has obviously increased. Uh, there's a hurry-up uh, tendency to the game. Teams are running more plays than ever before. But if I were to look at one trend and say, this is the biggest change over five years ago and will be the the standard for the next five years, it's that, you know, your your third linebacker is almost an exotic conceit. Your fullback, almost an exotic conceit. Fullback has been replaced by the slot receiver. The third linebacker has been replaced by the slot, not even cornerback. You can call him a defender, as in Buchanan, as in Barron, as in Tyron Matthew, who sort of goes everywhere. But that, to me, is the one primary change in the NFL over the last even two to three years. And it is not the standard. If you're running, you know, some teams will run the typical offensive and defensive alignments from, say, 10 to 20 years ago. And they're very much behind the times because this is where the league is headed. Speaking of where the league's headed, Doug, um, do you think that there's room for, say, football to come back cyclically where, you know, right now, 11 personnel, nickel, they're basically your base offense and defenses. Do you think we're going to see a trend at some point for football to go back to sort of the I formation stuff? Or do you think 11 personnel, nickel, that we're here to stay? 
I'm not so sure about I, but I can tell you that single back power, a lot of wham stuff. I think that's going to be the new kind of the new normal. Um, you'll have some fullback use, but you know we we all kind of made fun of Mike Malarkey for the exotic smash mouth thing last yeah. year. I I do think he's on to something. If you watch the way they used Derrick Henry against the Chargers, if you watch the way the Rams used Todd Gurley in his rookie season, most certainly, I mean, and in the Seahawks last year, they ran a ton of single back. They've sort of phased the fullback out. But they run, you know, standard power counter wham, trap sort of things, zone poles and, you know, slides and, and things like that. But the power running game will make a comeback because of what I just talked about, those 210 220-pound linebackers, you know, it, it's very rare these days for a linebacker to be over 240 pounds. That used to be the normal. Now your average linebacker coming into the NFL is probably 230. So if you can get a 240-pound back who can move and is agile and can be decisive at the hole, you've got the advantage. So I would say there will be, to a point, kind of a return to form as far as, as power football. It just may not look like the power football of old with, you know, the eye or the offset eye. Or, I say bring back the split back, by the way. I've been an advocate of, you know, a couple, you know get some two halfback sets there and see what you do. There we go. I miss that stuff. I totally. Um, you're well, going to make, Ma- make Mark talk about the flex bone now. Oh, I'd love oh, to see boy. some flex bone in the NFL. See, there you go. Well, the 46 killed the split back, but, you know, I don't think too many teams were in the 46, so let's bring it back. Doug, you, uh, one of the things you said right at the outset, you were talking about that you know, the advent of sub-packages as the new normal here. One of the teams that I'm particularly high on this year as well as looking one to two years into the future is Jacksonville, in part because yeah. you look at the guys they drafted this year on defense, and they fit the mold as far as the kind of defenders that you need in today's NFL. And obviously, they are loaded on offense at, at the skill positions. Talk to me about what you see coming out of Jacksonville for a team that's really been in desperate need of wins for the last 15 years. And they really kind of do have it together on offense, and it's a vertical game. I think Bortles, he was, it's not the most prolific as far as attempts, deep pass from the league, he was in the top three. Um, Allen Robinson is an absolute freak. Uh, right now, he's one of the ten best receivers in the NFL. If he keeps developing at this rate, he'll be the next best. He'll be the, the next guy everyone's talking about within two to three years. Allen Hearns, who they got undrafted, they've put him more in the slot, and he's a bigger, more powerful slot guy. And they're going to move you know, satellite guys around him but they've got their offensive philosophy together. I did a tape piece with Miles Jack uh, right before the draft, and the most impressed, and this is a 240-pound linebacker, the most impressive play we covered was against USC where he trailed Nelson Aguilar up the left, uh, left sideline about 30 yards downfield as a boundary corner would, as a Richard Sherman or Patrick Peterson would, and Miles Jack at 240 pounds and a supposed downhill linebacker shut Nelson Aguilar down on that play. And he told me that Jim Moore had challenged him specifically, you're going to go wherever Nelson Aguilar goes, and you're going to shut him down. And he did. That's a very unusual request to make of any linebacker. Even the, you know, the, the money backers like Dion Buchanan or, or Mark Barron or whoever. Well, Mark, Mark's more of a box guy. But you know what I mean. And then Jalen Ramsey, I thought when I did the SI-50, 
this last year over at Sports Illustrated. I had Ramsey as my best player, and I think he has the potential to be uh, to have sort of a Charles Woodson level impact, where he you know he's a bit aggressive outside but he can play safety depth, and I think he can be an absolute terror in the slot. So they are getting their defensive stuff together. You know, sending Lee Jackson, they pay, they're paying Lee Jackson a lot of money, but in that front, I think he'd be, he could make it worth their while. But certainly those two guys, Jack and Ramsey, if they stay healthy, and with Jack, the knee is obviously a concern, and Ramsey's been hurt. But that, you know, those two guys, especially Miles Jacks, certainly fits that new paradigm because you can line him up anywhere on the field. And they did at UCLA and they will in Jacksonville. Um, he can play, I mean, he, he can play like not center field safety, but he can run with your tiny depth of seam. He can come in and crash a run lane. He can do anything. Doug, I want to ask you about another young team that's kind of on the rise. But before I do, I want to remind our listeners that crossover football can help coaches win more games and make smarter use of the film room with their teams. Crossover breaks down and stats out your game film, giving you searchable clips, advanced ODK, tendency reports, and a wealth of other great information that you can access from your PC or any mobile device. Your formations and personnel packages can be labeled with your terminology, and you can create custom highlight reels, exchange video with anyone on any platform, and include in all of your players and coaches. To try one game for free, sign up for a demo at crossover.com slash pylon. That's crossover with a K dot com slash pylon to get one breakdown for free today. Doug, another team that's on the rise, they you know won their division, made it to playoffs last year, but again, an early exit of the Minnesota Vikings. They got another year of te- Teddy Bridgewater under center, drafted some weapons for him. Do you think that Minnesota makes a little bit more noise this year, or do you think they little, actually regress a bit? I, that was a good segue, by the way. Nice, nice oh. jump to the ad. Thank you. Thank you. I'm getting better at this. He's a pro. There you go. Um, Certainly on defense, they have the, the structure in place and the personnel and most certainly the coaching with Mike Zimmer um, to have the NFL's next great defense. And I, I, I think that's almost an inevitability as long as everyone stays healthy. I'm fascinated to see what they do with Mackenzie Alexander because I think Mackenzie could be the next Chris Harris. He could be the next great slot guy. Wow. Um, and that was kind of the one thing. I mean, Captain Munnerwin played that role a lot last year. Yeah. He was, if memory serves, the most talent, the most targeted slot defender in the NFL. So wherever they put McKenzie, and McKenzie played mostly outside, but he also played the slot. You know, their their defense is pretty much sewn up as long as their cornerbacks can be a little more consistent. Um, on offense, Mike Zimmer has talked about, and I think it's it's interesting the the whole week before the Minnesota Seattle playoff game. They were asking Zimmer about the Russell Wilson plan. Is Teddy being uh, brought along in a similar fashion? And Zimmer, as is his want, that sort of testy at the second or third question because he's a testy guy. But I I think there is something to that. And I have always thought, going back to his days at Louisville, that um, Bridgewater's deep arm is underrated. It's kind of like Robert Griffin's deep arm back when Griffin was really together. Right. Um, it's not consistent, but it's it's good enough. And I do think, you know, Cordell Patterson what, looks to be a bust. Mike Wallace was an, an unbelievably bad investment. Um, so 
and and Jay was the most pressured quarterback because his offensive line was, to put it bluntly, garbage. Matt Khalil's still a problem, but you bring in Andre Smith, you bring in Alex Boone, you get that protection up to at least league average, and you give him those different targets. I think Bridgewater's shown a lot of poise, a lot of uh, schematic acuity. He's reading the defenses pretty well. You know, I, I think he's on the rise. You keep Peterson healthy, you get that passing game up to, you know, again, to use the term league average. And, yeah, I mean, Detroit looks to be falling apart a bit. Chicago, I'm not sure if they're quite there. Green Bay's offenses and stasis. I mean, Mike McCarthy's got a pull in the 1970s and realized you got to scheme your guys open. It looks to me like a wide berth for the Vikings right now. On that Minnesota offensive line, it looked like last year watching them, a lot of their protection problems were almost scheme-based. They ran a lot of seven-step drops. I mean, you remember that game against Arizona where Bridgewater gets sacked basically when they were almost in field goal range. That was a seven-step drop in that situation. Do you think Minnesota moves away from that? You think Norv moves away from seven-step drops? Yeah, I hope. Really? I, I know. Maybe it's a bad question. <laughs> I mean, it's wishful thinking, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't think so. Um, and I, I, remember I did a piece on Bridgewater, I think it was in November or December. I'd have to go back and look. But he... And, and I made the point that that sort of inflexibility really didn't do Bridgewater any favors, and Norv believes in what I would call execution routes. Kind of like Mike McCarthy, but not as drastic. Well, yeah, bro, we could run slants and drags and crosses and combos, but you have to get yourself open. And again, it's like it's 1973. Um, so, yeah, I would agree with that. There is, a, there is a level of schematic inflexibility built into the problem base of Minnesota's offense, but as long as they have North Turner... And that's, that's the way it's going to be. Doug, one of the things that we see every year in the offseason is obviously uh, coaches heading to new teams, bringing new staffs, and then we also see the movement of players from team to team. And I'm curious, when you look at either the, the pairing of a coach or a player or the pairing of two players together, what combinations are you most excited to see this year in terms of really being able to complement each other and unleash uh, their prospective talents? Oh, that's a good question. Um, gosh, could you give me a couple examples? Well, I, I guess if if you're talking you're about a blank, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Well, I it's just such an expansive question. My brain just went. Eh. No, I mean obviously, look, you've got Hugh Jackson going over to Cleveland, and, and the, the cupboard's a little bit bare right. there. But it, you know, is there anything on Cleveland that potentially you're looking at where you say, okay, this is something that might be interesting, and they may be able to put something together? Uh, I will say Cleveland's a bad example. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, you. Uh, I think over time he's going to bring Robert Griffin back. You think so? Uh, because the the, the major the main problem with Griffin in DC under Gruden is that Gruden and it was almost. It, I mean, it was almost like a punishment that he would not play to Griffin's strengths, and it got to the point where it felt like he was just saying, I want this guy out of here. So when he plays, we're not going to adapt to what he does. Griffin needs a lot of help from just basic stuff. So um, I I, I don't believe that Griffin is the long-term answer there, but I I think Hugh Jackson has proven over time 
um, that, that he'll be flexible enough, and he'll bring Griffin along well enough to at least make it decent. Because Griffin's still got the talent, and I don't think it's a mechanical issue. I think with him, it's just more mental. I think he's just been beating down in his head. And he needs a, a, a comfortable place where not a lot is expected of him. And unfortunately for Cleveland fans right now, it's kind of Cleveland. So it's it's a good place for him to sort of rehabilitate. And I do believe over time that, I mean, <laughs> I know a lot of people believe that Andy Dalton is a top 10, top 15 quarterback. But the fact, based on the TCU tape I saw, the fact that Hugh Jackson turned Andy Dalton into a guy who could lead an NFL offense is one of the more impressive things I've seen in the last 10 years. Let's put it that way. One more for you along the, the same lines. We saw uh, in New England uh, tight end Martellus Bennett as well as wide receiver Chris Hogan coming on board there. How do you think the two of them end up faring in Josh McDaniel's offense? Yeah, I'm not completely – I mean, Hogan's a, a decent enough player, but the thing that excites me is the Bennett-Gronkowski pairing, and, and we're taping this on, on Monday the 15th, and there was word of Gronkowski coming up short on a play. Maybe he's injured. I certainly hope that's not the case. But, you know, Bennett is a guy – who he runs, I mean, in Adam Gase's system last year in Chicago, he ran combo routes with receivers. And he's a guy who can go up to see. He's not going to run every route that Gronkowski does to the level that Gronkowski does. But on the other hand, you look at Gronk, and really Gronk doesn't run a lot of routes. He just gets open and physically dominates people. So then you bring in that second tight end, and it, it sort of takes New England back to... It, it's so interesting to see how the Belichick offense has... I call it the Belichick offense because it's done with Charlie Weiss and McDaniels and whoever else. They were pretty much power-based, run-based team in the early 2000s. And then they turned into almost a spread offense with a tight end with Moss and Welker in 2007. And I think Belichick loves the flexibility of the two tight end package. And when Aaron Hernandez did what Aaron Hernandez did, he obviously lost that. Gronkowski became a superstar. But Bennett has every possible tool you would want to bring that back. So I think I think he will thrive in that offense. I think um, you know, it, it does well for Brady, too, because he's really become a three-step drop passer. He doesn't have the deep ball he used to have. And a guy like Bennett, who is really good at running routes, really good at understanding option routes, and the Patriots run more option routes than any other team, as I'm sure you know, um, he, he's going to be a, a great benefit to Brady and certainly a, a great benefit to Garoppolo, who, by the way, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. Don't just stand there and get sacked throw the damn yeah. ball. But when Brady gets in there, um, yeah, I think it's gonna, that's going to be one of those signings that's going to look like pure genius as a lot of these have for uh, for the Patriots. Doug, I want to ask you a question here about two offensive first-round skill players. And that's Ezekiel Elliott and Paxton Lynch. Both of these guys look to have fallen to teams where they could fit in that scheme very well right away. Do you have high expectations? You probably do for Elliott, but do you also have high expectations for Lynch once he actually hits the field come the regular season? Yeah, it's all set up for Zeke, isn't it? <laughs> Best yeah. run blocking line in the league, and yeah. you know, he's going to find some holes that he didn't. If he's going to see holes that he didn't see when Ohio State was playing like Valdosta State or whoever, 
Um, sorry about Boston State, no offense. Right. As far as Paxton Lynch, he's a tough one to analyze because there are times when, and this, you know, he's a tall guy, he's kind of a lanky guy. He's a really good athlete. I mean, he can run, he can run boot, which of course they wouldn't draft him under Kubiak if he can run boot. Right. But he's, you know, he's an athletic guy. My problem with Paxton Lynch, and this is the kind of thing that takes a year or two to get over, and some guys never get it. It was one of Jamarcus Russell's problems, and I'm not putting Paxton in that boat. But there are times when he simply doesn't read the field. He simply doesn't know what he's seeing. I'm not guessing on this. I talked to him about this. And, you know, there was the big comeback against North Carolina State, and, but in the in the start of that game, he took two sacks where one of them he was rolling left, and he had a wide-open receiver, and he just missed it. He just he didn't see it. And I think that's a real problem. If you have that problem in college, and then you go to the NFL where the windows are half as big, and everything takes half as long before it closes, and then before it develops, um, you're in for something there. And it, it's funny, I actually think, <laughs> and I hadn't seen too much of Trevor Simeon, but I think Trevor Simeon's got a shot. Really? I was watching him in that Chicago game, and I, I just, I look at tools because in preseason, you know, the schemes are, eh. Um, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, really good accuracy, can throw with anticipation. He's throwing the, the slants, the steam post, things like that. As far as Paxton Lynch, I mean, obviously he's their, you know, the long-term future. Sanchez is a bridge, and, you know, Simeon's there. Um, and he may surprise, um, but with Paxton, I, I think it's going to take a while. Uh, d- d- I know for a fact that Jaguars did not want Blake Bortles to play a single down in the regular season, and they sort of had to put him in there when Henny, Chad Henny got hurt. He wasn't really effective. I, you know, if I were John Elway and I were Gary Kubiak, I would not plan to put Paxton Lynch on the field until 2017. I think he's got a lot of work to do above the neck. Smart guy. I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying there are things he needs to put together that are pretty big blocks in the quarterback toolkit. Doug, I'm going to end on a kicker question just because. Of course. Well, I mean, what other well, sure. way? Do, what other way do you finish the I show? Would, what, what else would you do? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I we, mean, you're kind of a, you can you kind of have a problem, I guess. <laughs> I, a bit. I've, I've, I've been trying to tell. Them I've been told that by many people other than my mother. It's so good, it's, it's a good obsession. It's it's, good it's you know some people watch birds, I watch kickers. It's just how I do things. Roberto Aguayo, obviously a lot of press as a second-round kicker and then goes and misses an extra point in his first preseason game. Obviously, any kicker is going to miss a kick, whether a short kick, long kick, easy kick, you know, difficult conditions, whatever it may be. What do you make of him being taken in the second round? I'm of the opinion it's just bad for his development because it puts so much pressure and such high expectations on him. Do you tend to agree even if the talent may be there? Well, the Raiders in their history have drafted a punter in the first round of Ray Guy and a kicker in the first round of Sebastian Janikowski. And if you're going to do that, and I know it was a second-round pick, but given that they moved up, it's in perception it's a first-round pick. He had better be something amazing. And there had better be no one behind him. I mean, the, the Jaguars, 
until Bortles goes to five Pro Bowls, will never live down that in 2012 they drafted a punter before Russell Wilson. They yeah, that's tough. That that's kind of tough. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think he's even with them anymore. It's a so, really bad look. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not a good look. Um, you know, it, it made for fodder. I mean, it's, it's an important part of the game, and certainly as the rules have changed, even more important, and they're going to keep changing the rules, and, and it'll be more important. But, yeah, I, that, that looked like one of those reactive things to me, like, hey, at least we got this position sewn up. Well, yeah, but if you're drafting a long snapper in the second round, you, you probably could have got that sewn up later. Hey, at, <laughs> at, at least it's not the first round, right? <laughs> but as I said, with all those, you know, when you're moving up to get a kicker in the second round right. for, from a perception perspective, it, it might as well be a top ten pick because you just you look goofy. Almost feels That's like almost feels like it. Doug, uh, we are just about out of time here. I do want to thank you uh, for joining us. We do appreciate uh, the time that you took tonight. Of course, my pleasure, guys. That is Doug Farrar from Bleacher Report. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield, we are done today. Tomorrow, we're going to be introducing the hosts of our new college football podcast. That's going to be coming up tomorrow on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. <laughs>